0: This is Doug McClure again, and we're here today to continue our discussion with CoralSense. I have with me uh, the CTO and founder of CoralSense, Lanier Shacham, from Israel, and where everybody is safe and sound, uh, it sounds like. We, uh, we welcome you, Lanier. And, and we left off last time getting through some of the basics around what business transaction management was, what a transaction was, and, and understanding of the CoralSense value proposition. And as I've talked with these other vendors and learned more about how each vendor is approaching this area called business transaction management, I see one of the initial differentiators that a potential client is going to start to ask questions around is in this area of transaction discovery and how that initial pieces and parts of, of a end-to-end transaction flow is discovered. Lanier, could you share a little bit about what transaction discovery is to CoralSense, what what does that mean to be able to discover an end-to-end transaction, realizing that that transaction, again, as we talked about last time, could be made up of thousands and thousands of, we'll call them transaction stubs or transaction fragments?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, thank you, though. You joined very much our last conversation. Happy to be here again. I think that the question of discovering transactions is, is critical, Um, the first step, and you want to do that automatically, and you want to do it for distributed transactions, which span through different tiers and different components. And you want to do it without any prior knowledge as regarding where the transaction is going to flow through. So what it means for us is that once I have my agent deployed, then I have the ability to show all the events are flowing through the devil. that it's, it's being uh, forwarded to a different server. You should still be able to track these two transactions and, and give full accountability to what they did. In that sense, there are two different types of transactions. The first one are synchronous transactions, which means that there is someone waiting for the response, uh, uh, which is should be sent out immediately. For example, you're doing an, an online deposit within your bank, then you're going to get some kind of response from your bank online system immediately. Now, the deposit may or may not be done at that specific moment in time, okay? but the authorization that they accepted your request will be sent so this is an Asynchronous transaction The other type of transaction Is an a Asynchronous transaction Meaning that It should be um, Should arrive eventually To some kind of queue That queue can be An EAI solution A message broker of some kind Tipco, NQ Weblogic queues Whatever queue they're using Or it can just be some kind of logic queue It could be a Wrote to, but as long as it behaves as the queue, then for us it is a queue, meaning that a transaction will be written to that queue, and then there's some kind of process that needs to do a put, a get from that queue, and continue the processing of the transaction. So, from a synchronous point of view, we have maybe two different transactions. One of them doing the put to the queue, the other one doing the get from the queue, and if you if there is a meaning in combining these two to one logical transaction, then this is a asynchronous transaction by definition. And when it comes to asynchronous transactions, there's a, it's a whole new ball game, because it 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 um, requires a little bit of different technology and methodology. There are different questions, such as uh, how long do I keep these transactions alive if they're asynchronous then. There, there could be transaction A, and then there could be transaction B, which is relative to transaction A, and transaction B occurs a week later, or two weeks later, or a month later. How, how, how far am I gonna uh, be able to stretch these transactions? And, and there's always the question of, how am I going to correlate these transactions? Because from our technology perspective, we can automatically correlate transactions which are synchronous by definition. When it comes to asynchronous transactions, uh, I think that SharePath or any other product in in our industry for that matter will always reside on the uh, actual different features of the uh, transaction endpoint when it arrives to the the queue level. And in that sense, I don't see it as any innovative technology to do the attachment between transactions that is derived to that queue and then
2: being uh, uh, retrieved from that queue. So we're probably gonna do
1: it just like any uh, any other vendor in our industry. But the question is, how do you define this logical transaction? And this is something that the customer should define usually. And we right now allow uh, like a limit of a time frame for which you can still combine a two synchronous transactions to a single uh, logical transaction and we allow the definition of of what are the features of the last event that arrived to the logical queue which you can combine these two transactions by.
0: Is this uh, synchronous and asynchronous, is this similar to when we hear other vendors talk about uh, round-trip transactions versus one-way transactions? Uh, for instance, in the, in the financial trading you know, market maker areas where stock, stock ticker information is being pushed, you know, multicast one direction, is that it, you're not expecting to have information come back from that transaction. It, and you don't expect? Correct. Well, I, I think that yes. The answer is yes.
1: I think that you mostly see that with, with, when it comes to workflow, work through tools of some kind, then there's always the definition of this logical transaction, which is which has to be processed by different endpoints. And an endpoint can be an automatic system of some sort, or an endpoint can be a human based you know, a, a, a human, which needs to understand the request and handle it, and sometimes it can be stuck in his inbox for a week. But still, there's this high-level process which is referred to as a single uh, unit of work, a single logical transaction, and you want to attach all these synchronous events, synchronous transactions,
0: which are uh, building up this single logical transaction. I understand. Okay, yes, it is, it is Okay, yeah, I, I definitely understand the application of that term as you've described it in areas like workflow, Process automation, business process management activities, where you've 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 got transactions or user input to, to a system that queues up and waits for some other thing to arrive before it moves on down the path. Yeah. What we also see is, which is actually quite interesting, I think, is that customers
1: mm-hmm. are referring mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a transaction again, a logical transaction or more something which is more similar to a user session. I mean, and not just a combination of synchronous transactions, which are composing a single user of work, which is which with asynchronous stops in the middle, such as within a workflow, stuff, stuff like that. But actually um, combining synchronous transactions, which are being sent out from the same endpoints and look at them as a single unit of work. And I mean, let's say you're a user and you do a login and then you go to your checking account but then you do the deposit. Okay, and then you do the logout. Then taking these four single events, which may reside in four specific sequential transactions or in ten sequential transactions, it's really a question of how many transactions your application is generating for a single click of a user, right? It doesn't have to be one. Yeah, it could be even n, whatever whatever number it is. And combining them together and giving them a single name, which is deposit. Because if a user just wants to do a deposit, then you have to do the login, go to the checking account, do the deposit, and do the login they want to see all of that aggregated together get a sense of the user action this is like a third type
0: of a logical transaction okay. which is we also stuff that we see Would like we, what's a good name or term to, to call that something like a transaction package or a transaction envelope or I, I, I call that a scenario I think a scenario okay scenario
1: it's like a, a combination of events which represent a user scenario, and, every, and, and, and when you want a dashboard, then sometimes just having a single transaction with the name and a deposit has no meaning, but if you can track user scenarios, then 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 sometimes they have more meaning to the guys who are responsible. For the operation or for
0: the high level management. Yeah, a- absolutely. W- those people, you know, can't be worried with those finite atomic, you know, things happening at the lower level. They, they think in terms of deposit, withdrawal, inquiry uh, type, higher level, higher order things. Exactly. When we talk about all these types of synchronous and asynchronous and user or transaction scenarios, you know, they have to be discovered some way. And, and you know, like I mentioned before, is there's there's many different approaches to discovering the the low level data, and then I think each vendor's approach on the back end is what we see to to aggregate that information. There's there's the age old debate here about you know what's the best method for discovering this low level transaction data. There's active approaches, there's passive approaches, there's probes, there's agents, there's agentless. Can you talk about the approach that Coral Sense has taken with SharePath and and why you chose that approach?
1: I, I think that that if you really want to solve the problem, there is only one approach. There is no other approach. And I think that I talked about it a little bit last time. But I wanna make it the perfect clear there is no other approach if you want to solve the problem if you want to partially solve the problem then you can do it in many ways but if you want to totally solve the problem there is only a single way there is no other way and what I mean by solving totally the problem I mean if you I think I used this example last time if you want to track a transaction that arrives to a problem a web server uh-huh. and then through a load balancer, to an app server, uh-huh. and then to a message queue, uh-huh. and then to a database and sometimes to the mainframe, then the only way to do it is first of all agent based, because using something which is agent based means that you're just gonna see the events that flow to a junction and events that flow really depends what type of agent and technology you're using. When it comes to agent sets, there is the network base, which is hooking to the switches and, uh, and the hub within the network topology, sniffing the network and extracting the event. And in that sense, you can usually only see what's flowing to the machine and out of the machine. Whatever is happening within the machine, between the different processes, within the machine, you won't be able to see agent technology, there's even there's an approach of let's do an agent-based probe, but actually let's open a telnet, issue some commands, write them to a file, do an FTP to the file, and then log out. So this is supposed to be agent but this is more overhead and more invasive than an agent. So like this is always, always, It always makes me funny when you find technology which is supposed to be agent but actually it's based on telnet. Telnet is not agentless. Agentless is through the network. That's agentless. Agentless is is interacting with an interface which is with a daemon, which is already deployed within the server and was designed for that, such as an SNMP. Agentless is not opening a Telnet session. So at the end of the day, when you're using these agentless technologies, whether it's a network, which SQL statement it sent out. Okay? Which of the 40,000? This is just not a solvable problem from a network. Okay? The only way to solve it is by using an agent. And now when it comes to an agent, then there are different technologies. And there is what is very common right now is tackling the high-level application layer. That's what you see with, uh, with all of the tools that use uh, JVM instrumentation as their method for tracking transactions through application servers, through Java-based application servers. But what they don't have, the solution was application servers, not Java-based. So they're only, they only track through Java-based application servers, and, and now you have some vendors that are also using Microsoft API for .NET instrumentation as well. So still, they have just for .NET and just for Java. But the world is not just Java and .NET. We still have many proprietary codes being deployed out there. Proxies, web server, message brokers. The Java the Java tier or the .NET tier usually is only a single out of... not enough. We have Coral We tweet it from a different direction and we're doing it at a little lower level which allows us to be more generic and more cross-platform than the other vendors. I really don't care if you're using Java or C, C++
0: or Kobo programs. I'm still able to track transactions through your topology. So your agent is somewhere in the, the network stack of a, of a server or at the OS level, where would you place your agent?
1: Different areas, different areas. But not, not just in the application layer. And usually I'm totally out of the application layer. Sometimes I also go to the application layer when I don't have a choice or if the user wants information that you can only get from that layer and the techniques that my competitors have of course I have as well because that's not something innovative anymore it's been a commodity for a while now right but what we have is this edge which gives us uh, we feel a very competitive uh, perspective in the sense that we
0: can tap. Uh, any topology because we, we, we reside on that layer of, of the network, the OS, and the entire. Yeah. Okay. So I don't need to have a vendor application server specific agent or a database specific agent or a, a web specific agent, SOA specific agent. I mean, your agent is generic enough that it's going to work in all those environments?
1: There's always this, this specific cases in which you do need this extra
0: kick. Would that be some sort of decode, you know, decode intelligence? I mean, that would be the, 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 the,
1: something which is more customized to a specific component we track through the transaction. Uh, but that's usually rare and only when it's totally necessary and there is no other way. But okay question is definitely yes. We have single code, single code base, single concept, single installation, same agent for different uh, application components, and even between different flavors of operating systems, we still have one generic code base.
0: Okay. And is that something that's extendable out from the traditional data center environment? You mentioned that you you do have an agent that can go on the desktop. What about you know these emerging mobile areas like iPhones and Blackberries or Symbian or other wireless mobile devices that are you know certainly key components of many business organizations in their end to end transaction flow. What 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 do you offer in those areas? Is that the same agent or is this where you're gonna tend to partner more?
1: Is no more relevant. <laughs> right. I think that iPhone, which shows that it's easy to go through the web by using a cell phone, is a, a, a real revolution. And the thing with iPhone is that you still get to use the regular web, so your, your regular uh, browser. And you still get to browse through a website using HTML and not something awkward as. I think that if you have technology for tracking transactions from the desktop for web applications, that should be enough. Uh, Looking to the future. And that's my bet. When it comes to other proprietary uh, technologies, we're partnering right now, and we're not looking right now to develop our own technology for full desktop user measurement and for endpoint devices just as PDA cellular and stuff
0: like that. Okay. How does Sense fit into a mainframe environment?
1: Uh, I think that what you see with the mainframe is that they're not that eager to install new technology over the mainframe. It's, it's, it's now and usually the guys responsible the mainframe like to keep it that way. Right. But I think what's important with transactions which are going to the mainframe is you have to show them the last mile. I mean you have to show them the request that is being sent out to the mainframe and being able to measure the time expending within the mainframe. I think that's a key requirement for the customers right now. And this
0: is what we are expected to deploy, and we have deployed that already. So helping them eliminate the finger-pointing game between the distributed and the mainframe. able to, to
1: literally capture the CICS program name that's being called within the mainframe. They expect you to show them that
0: a product from IBM or BMC or ASG or, or CA that provides me with some level of visibility into the Kicks IMS custom you know environments. Is that uh, something that you could leverage with that data to bring in and, and stitch together and create these scenarios manually? Yeah.
1: Manual work. We're always open, and we have open API and it's relatively very easy to add additional information to the Slack mile event, which is the event being sent out to the mainframe. Um, but as you said, it's it's not out of the box right now. You know, okay. if you want to if you want in to hook information which will retrieved from an external vendor, uh, which is installed over the mainframe. Uh, it requires integration uh, uh, of
0: some sort. In these large environments where we are discovering, you know, potentially tens or hundreds of thousands of or more transaction fragments, you know, synchronous or asynchronous, or these transaction scenarios, that's, I mean, it's a lot of data that's discovered. What do, does Coral Sense do with that discovered data? How is the back-end architecture or or infrastructure, you know, specked out to support that data for, you know, I don't know is that quarterly or, or annual or, you know, how do you handle all that data on the back end? This is quite interesting, you
1: know, in, in At the beginning, we were only focused on the technology for gathering the data, and I still see that our our core ID and I think that's our our more competitive competitive edge over other vendors. But what we understand right now is that the analysis and and storing this information and handling it Um, and many other features and you want want to be able to retrieve information online uh, by these different criteria and that requires a a specific uh, data model for, for gathering this information and so we've built that so we have the raw data on one hand If you want to access a specific transaction activation and see exactly what it did within all the tiers, of course you can. But what we understand is that you also need all the time constant access to online data, which is summarizing information, right? So you want to aggregate whatever you have and being able to bring online data information, what's happening right now within your topology. So we do that in parallel. We store actual raw data and we do the aggregation. And that allows us to show you what happened with a specific time frame, a specific five minute, one minute, 15 minute time frame. And also on a higher uh, level, you can see what happened within a week or within a month. From a long-term perspective, then uh, it's easier. Store these long term aggregations than to store long term the raw data, right? So you can archive the the raw data and keep that for a rainy day if you need to go back and (laughs) see exactly what happened. And when it comes to aggregation, that's easier, right? So that's
0: it. Sure. How long would you be storing the raw data by default? Okay. On the side, the side of the storage with terabyte
1: terabyte, a few terabytes, and that will define uh, how long it's going to be because every application is But you have only, I don't know, 20,000 equal transactions a day, and that's nothing. So it's really a question of, of what if you get to your monitoring, and once you have Chirpus deployed already, it's very easy to understand what the capacity that is required and for how long it will be good for.
0: Okay. When you're talking about these OLAP cubes, is that something that's proprietary? Is that something you've developed? Are you leveraging a specific database vendor or, or other capability to create that?
1: We're using some open-source
0: technologies for that
1: and some self-development.
0: Okay. Does the traditional tool administrator who would, who would be responsible for SharePath have to gain expertise in data warehousing and data mining and OLAP? they don't need to be a database administrator to to manage the back end and the sizing and scalability uh, or are they going to have to bring in you know somebody from their database team at a company to to help out there? No,
1: we see that as
0: our responsibility.
1: We think that the back end of an end-to-end transaction management solution is something that has to be like a black box, has to always work and You need to have need to have to give them the ability to look into it if they want to, but the administration should be your problem,
0: not theirs. Right, and the the database support is you know the traditional flavors you know Oracle DB two, MySQL, SQL Server of our own uh, internal database. Yeah, no. So this is a proprietary database that's all this information is stored in.
1: And there's something we developed ourselves, and yes, it, it's not that if you really want to do this fast and effective, uh, relying on the popular databases is not always possible. And of course, it is potentially, okay? But we've decided right now to do the best that we can on our own and not rely on these commercial databases, which what usually happens is you find yourself trying to fit your needs to what they can offer you instead of it being the other way around. And when it comes to a long-term storage of online transactions, which every transaction has a tree-like view, this is not something which is designed for a relational database. Right. By definition it's not. The relational database does not do a good job in being a long term storage for transaction management. If you do it only if you only solve partially the information, the the problem, then you may be able to
2: to handle yourself with a simple relational database. But if you want to solve the entire problem,
1: then you're gonna find that a Traditional relational database just doesn't cut it, and of course we we you know it's easy, it's always easier to rely on what what the, the, the usual stuff that you have out there. But unfortunately, um, it you just do not cut it from a technology perspective. It just doesn't do